Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. What's going on? It is July in Los Angeles, 2016, and this is The Mixed Experience. I'm your host, Heidi DeRoe. And this is the only live weekly podcast about being racially and culturally mixed. And it's basically just a mixed chick's mixed thoughts on a mixed up world. And yeah, the world is pretty mixed up right now and it's getting more and more mixed up. I'm not going to go into that today because that's going to take too much away from the time I have with our fantastic guest who I will introduce in just a moment. But first, I wanted to mention to you that, uh, you know, I have this festival thing I run as a total volunteer project. No one gets paid to do it. It's a thorough labor of love. It's called the Mixed Remixed Festival, and it happens every June. We are still coming off the high of the amazing festival, record-breaking festival that we had in June. Uh, We're looking for people who are serious, serious, serious about joining the planning team. And These are not glamour jobs we're asking you to do. This is the grunt work. This is the stuff that gets it done. Uh, We are kind of maxed out at this point in terms of what we're able to do with the limited number of people and time that we have. And so we're looking for you. Uh, Shoot me an email, Heidi at MixedRemix.org, if you're interested, okay? But only do it if you're serious. Like, we really need serious help. Um, So, yeah, so there's that. Also, our T-shirts are for sale now online. You can go to the website and click on the T-shirt link, which I believe is there somewhere, and you can buy our wonderful new official festival T-shirt. And that's just a really simple way of supporting the festival, and it would be very much appreciated because then you'd like represent wherever you are and take a picture of yourself and and show you know show folks the the love that you have for the festival, which is really exciting. So um, today, I am super excited to have a really fantastic guest on. I um, I feel like I know Cheryl, but I actually realize I don't know her at all. I just know lots of people who know her, which is kind of the same thing. And uh, I've been really excited to meet her in person, which I still haven't done, but hope to do soon. But today, I was really glad that I was going to have a chance to talk to her about her debut novel, Sarong Party Girls, which is, guys, so excellent. It's so excellent. So just a quick bio about Cheryl. She's a New York-based journalist and author of A Tiger in the Kitchen, a memoir of food and family, and she's edited the fiction anthology Singapore Noir. She's been a staff writer at the Wall Street Journal, InStyle Magazine, and the Baltimore Sun. She has written a kick-ass debut novel that is funny and smart and just, like, good in that way where I wanted to throw it down on the ground because I didn't write it and I didn't know these people. Uh, Anyway, I'm super excited to welcome to the show today Cheryl Tan. Hey, Cheryl. 
Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Oh, so, and thanks for your kind we, words about the book. Well, there are going to be more, so okay. you know, hold your horses on the on, okay. on the thank you because I just I super super love this book, but I have to ask you the traditional first question of all our guests, and please know there are no right answers. Uh, okay. We will pause for your thoughts, like if you need to gather yourself. Um, mm-hmm. The question is this: What are you? What am I? Um, yeah. I'm Singaporean, um, but I'm also ethnically Chinese. Yay! Yay! <laughs> well, there are no right answers. Okay. We start the show off that way because it's such a common question that people, especially if you're from a blended family or ethnically mm-hmm. ambiguous or uh, yeah. ambiguously brown-ish in a foreign mm-hmm. land, and yeah. uh, it's always interesting to know, like, how do how do people handle this question if they're not necessarily used to getting it? But I really no, feel like maybe you get this a lot. <laughs> I do, I do, because even though I've lived here for twenty years in, in, in New York, um, in the States, people still think that I just I just got here. Um and they're you know, they're always asking me where I'm from and et cetera, et cetera. And the issue of blended families is such an interesting thing because, you know, years decades ago, um, you know, when my parents married, they came from their families came from different parts of China and to them that was sort of blended. It's like they spoke different Chinese dialects, even though they're both Chinese. They're ethnically Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> it just depends on perspective, right? Exactly. I mean it's so so much more complicated than we want to think mm-hmm. it is. And uh, and we're all somehow connected to these differences that we erase when it's convenient or hide mm-hmm. or are told to forget, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's super complicated. Um, yeah. I want to talk about this excellent book, Sarong Party Girls. And I want to know about Jazzy. So Jazzy is our heroine. Uh, tell me, what is the inspiration for Jazzy? And how did you find her voice? Because she's mm-hmm. not you, right? But she's exactly, <laughs> no. she is, I, like, I feel like I know her right now. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about her. Well, Sarong Party Girls refers to a type of woman who, that exists in Singapore. And her main goal in life, uh, she's a Singaporean woman, and she usually, uh, her main goal in life is to meet an expat man, usually a Caucasian man, um, and date him and marry him. And um, her goal very often is to get what they, what my, some of my friends call a Chanel baby, um, a, a mixed race baby, a half Singaporean, half Caucasian <laughs> I baby. Know, I know. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's the ultimate status symbol. It's the Chanel of babies. Um, and so I was always sort of fascinated with the subculture in Singapore. I, I have to be very clear that not every Singaporean woman is a sarong party girl. Um, but it is a subculture in Singapore. And when I was growing up in Singapore, I would see these bars that we called SPG bars with these women in like short skirts and high heels going there to meet expat men and expat men going to meet these women. And I was always fascinated with the, the notion of race being such a status symbol and in such an open way too. Um, and, uh, and what makes a woman, you know, place such emphasis on race as, as this sort of materialistic desire. Um, and, um, and years later when I returned to Singapore um, to research a tiger in the kitchen, I saw a lot of the, I, I was reminded of these SPGs and seeing them in bars and clubs. And I thought, well, you know, maybe there's something here. And that world I found just so fascinating because I just kept wondering what drives the mind of an SPG, um, what makes her what makes her tick, and what makes her want what she wants so badly. It's um, so Jazzy is tw- she's 27, so mm-hmm. basically she's, she's, she's almost over the hill. 
<laughs> yes. She's, she's 26, about to turn 27, and she realizes if she's going to get that expat husband, she better get it soon. Um, and she's also, you know, she's, she's really a woman, young woman who's caught between two worlds. You know, she is not wealthy. Um, she comes from a lower middle class family. But she sees, you know, sort of this modern, glitzy Singapore, and she very much wants to be a part of that. You know, this sort of wealthy crowd. They go to clubs, and they, they, they spend a lot of money on drinks. And, and um, you know, she wants to be very much a part of that world. Um, but at the same time, her parents and her family are sort of and very entrenched in this traditional Chinese Singaporean world, and they want her to marry that nice Singaporean boy. Um, and she sort of rebelling against that because she sees that as a sort of patriarchal world that her parents had and you know it's continued because the guys of her generation are also patriarchal and her way of trying to get out of it is to find a man who's totally different from all of that who's going to lift her out of that life there, the guys that she's looking for Ang Mo I don't know if I'm saying it correctly <laughs> yeah. a white mm-hmm. foreign guy uh, yeah. but she also understands like the status uh, of the different guys so it's just so it's so complex the way that she's seeing the world because you meet her and right she's a sarong party girl she's supposed to be uh you know just very kind of shallow uh laugh mm-hmm. the right way etc but she's a student of how to make yourself mm-hmm. better i mean it's like kind of like a her own version of doing my fair lady on herself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was so fantastic. Yeah, completely. I think someone compared it to, uh, compared her to Holly Golightly. Um, But then another friend of mine compared it to Scarlett O'Hara saying, you know, you don't want to mess with her. Um, But, you know, she's very, she's very determined and she's very, she's very pragmatic. Um, And, you know, I've always found, um, you know, Singaporeans are, are very pragmatic. They're very practical. And, and she goes about finding love and finding her, her, her right marriage in a very Singaporean way. Um, and so she sort of like lays down the rules like, okay, this is how it's going to happen. Like, you know, if we're going to do this, we better do this right. Um, and I, I just find that whole sort of attitude very interesting. Um, you know, I, I see it all around me in Singapore applied to different things, whether it's getting that job or, you know, getting that house. Um, and, you know, in her case, she's applying, she's applying all these strategies to, to getting the right sort of mate. It, I mean, there's this wonderful line in the book where Jazzy says, uh, I told myself, Jazzy, if you are going to want anything in life, this is what you should want, all this, this world. And she's, she's looking at, you know, being part of a very, you know, white, privileged world, really, mm-hmm. where she, yeah. her her difference is, is there but not necessarily noted and she rises above being from Singapore, I guess, in some way. Mm-hmm. She somehow transcends, yeah. which I thought was really fascinating. That really is the attitude there of these young women. Um, you know, not I, I can't speak for all Sarong Party Girls, um, especially since I'm not one myself. But it was just, you know, this this novel you know, it was just great to kind of take little bits that I observed and kind of blow it up and just sort of explore, okay, well, what happens if this happens? But in her case, yes, like she, she very much, um, you know, she very much wants to lift herself up out of her, her life that she's in. Um, you know, she sees this sort of patriarchal world that she's grown up in and would continue to be a part of, she feels, if she married a Singaporean guy, a traditional Singaporean guy, and she doesn't want that. And so she looks at this world that's 
that's glitzy and it's different and she wants to be a part of it. And to her, you know, she, I think at some point says, you know, I'm not smart enough to be a lawyer or a doctor. Uh, I'm not rich. You know, the way to do it is through marriage, which is an age old issue. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that pretty much sort of describes every Jane Austen novel. Um, you know, it's like <laughs> you want to make a good marriage in order to improve your social standing. And, you know, yeah. and yeah, so it's, she wants to do the same thing that, you know, Emma wanted to do, but in modern Singapore. The the book, I think, I mean, it's so good because one, it's it's a story I I know nothing about, right? Like I I knew nothing about Sarong Party Girls. I thought it was a term you had made up, and then I realized, oh, this is actually a thing. And mm-hmm. um, and then even beyond that, the voice of it is so incredibly perfect. So you've written this from Jazzy's perspective in what is called Singlish. Can you explain yes. what that is? Well, Singlish is the patois of Singapore that we that we speak amongst ourselves. So, um, you know, it's not what in school we would speak Queen's English because we used to be a former British colony. Um, and But, you know, with my aunties or at the wet market or, you know, you're ordering coffee at the local coffee shop, you tend to kind of lapse into Singlish. And it's always been, it's a mixture of English with some Malay words tossed in and Chinese dialects and Mandarin as well. Um, and if sometimes the sentences don't seem quite right it's because it's sentence structure the words are english but the sentence structure maybe is mandarin um but it's it's definitely understandable um because it's based is basic infrastructure is sing- is english um and i've always loved singlish because it says so much about Singaporeans. It reflects who we are nationally. As an, it's really a big part of our national identity. It's very direct, cheeky. It's funny. It's witty. Um, it's also deliciously vulgar. Um, and yes. you know, <laughs> I know. Like I think when people think of Singaporeans, sometimes they think of this perfect, orderly society with a lot of laws, and we obey all the rules. And to a large extent, that's true. But there's also this side of us. If you pull back the curtain, that's you know very vulgar and cheeky and funny. And the language really brings that out. So I really wanted that to reflect her because Jazzy is not someone who would speak Queen's English all the time. She does it at work, but, you know, among her friends, she wouldn't do it. So why should I write this book, you know, from her perspective in proper Queen's English? It didn't feel right. So this was very important to me. Well, so I, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about this at all. And I was reading it and I was like, why, why am I able to tune in so well to what she's saying like it was not it didn't feel like a distraction it felt like I entered her consciousness um and so I had asked you earlier and if it's still Mm -hmm. okay I would love for you to read it to see if maybe did I really hear this right because I feel like I swear I know Jazzy right now I just know her and I know what she sounds like (laughs) okay I'm gonna read a short bit from the first chapter um in which she sort of um lays out her plan to her her friends on how how they're gonna how they're gonna get their guy um, and, and she's, you know, in, in, this, in this part, she's sort of very, she's, she's, she's just basically being very direct about it. Okay, number one, I said, looks. Obviously, we are quite chill. Otherwise, how come we have so many Angmo guys always chasing us? But girls, think about it. If you look carefully, the types of Singaporean girls that Angmo guys like to bop and the types that they end up marrying is quite different. So we must make ourselves look like those girls they want to marry. But who, Imo asked. Ayo, I tell you. I tried very hard not to roll my eyes, though. Instead, I pulled out some of the pictures I looked up on my phone that morning. Best one, Maggie Chung. This one, ah, I said. Very power. Marry the best type of guy. European. French some more. Sexy, sexy one. Rich also. You see, I continued, before the girls could get distracted, 
Maggie Cheung, her features are not so pretty. Her teeth are so big, got gaps or more. Her eyes are so small. Cheeks a bit fat. But still, Angmo guys love her because you know why. She's quite mysterious. Joan Chen, also the same thing. Her face flat, flat. Also, Angmo guys will still steam over her. So we must learn. Better to be mysterious a bit when we meet a new possibility. Cannot same night everything also whack. Number two is behavior. You see, uh, Angmo guys in Asia, step one for them is to look for girls to pop. This one is not hard. SPG bars, office, everywhere in this country is easy for them to find girls. But once they are used to this, it's quite difficult to get them to think differently. So the best thing is to grab them FOB. If you snatch the ones who just moved here one or two weeks ago, then confirm is a win. But if you don't manage to do that, when you meet them, you must act quite differently from those girls who just want to give them one, two nights good time type. A. Fan, I tell you, if you want to get married, you better stop stuffing your face and write this down. I pointed to her handbag and she fastily opened it to pull out a pen and paper. Until now, we have been quite good at the laugh, laugh, drink, drink, wink, wink type of thing. But if we want to be more serious, we must know what kind of thing Angmo guys like. Football, rugby, maybe things like rowing or tennis are also quite good. We don't know much, also must learn. So every day, we better read the Straits Times. English League, Italian League, German players, World Cup, Everything also must know. If we know more, then we have more chance. Not just one night, garabing, garabung, then everything is over already. If they think that we like what they like, then an actual relationship is more likely. Even Fan was very seriously writing things down now. Emo, however, asked, what about them learning about the things that we like? I tell you, sometimes Emo's astuteness is just really number one. Hello, I said. If you are waiting for a guy who wants to hold your hand and have long conversations about the new Shiseido eyeshadow, then you better take off your shoes and sit down comfortably because you are going to wait forever. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next, we must understand the enemy. We cannot be like Jackie Chan in those Kung Fu movies. In the beginning, he's always the gundu. Everything also don't know. Don't understand, then alamak, suddenly his balls get whacked. No. If we want to win, then we must know who we are fighting. Number one, China girls. This is the worst one. Since they come from China and are desperate not to go back, they anything will also do. No standards at all. Old, old, ugly, ugly, smelly, smelly. Also, they don't care. But because they are so willing, Angmo's like them. Some more, they have no guilty conscience. If a guy has a wife, a girlfriend, is engaged, has kids, they don't care. All they will also whack. Number two, Filipinas. This one is quite dangerous because they are already quite Angmo already. So it's very easy for them to talk to Angmo guys. They have a lot in common. Some more, they sing so well. If we see them in a karaoke lounge, I think we'd better just them. No chance there. Better don't fight. Number three, other SPGs. This one is quite easy to spot in a bar. But girls, we are all on the same side, all looking for the same thing. So if we see them, just show some respect. No need to fight unless they try to potong your catch. But if they potong, then we hunt them them one time. Number four, Angmore girls. This one is not actually not so dangerous because they're also fat and white chicken skin type. If Angmo guys want that kind of thing, ayo, they know that if they go home, there are better ones there. Down here in Singapore, these Angmo women know that Asian girls are better. But still, sometimes the Angmo girls also can win. So better to just keep an eye on them. Last one. This one is not hard, I said. We should just know the places to go. We already know the bars, Hard Rock, Studemeyer. These are all places, good places to spot Angmo's. But we must also try and see them in normal situations. For example, Angmo's like brunch. And hello, I'm not talking about going to eat prawn noodles type of brunch. Pancakes, eggs, that kind of thing. Even if we don't really like to eat that crap, we also must whack brunch. We cannot just whack the bars and clubs. Sunday lunchtime, we must try. Okay, now we must be serious a bit. If this is what we want, then we must really understand all of this.
The two of them were very quiet and looked at each other blankly. Jazzy Fan finally said, I think this plan, we cannot be like that law. Love and relationships must be natural, not so calculative. We cannot plan, plan, plan until like this. Otherwise, what does it all mean? We might as well be like our parents. My God, when she said this, this got me really upset. The whole point of my plan, of us trying so hard, is exactly so we won't end up like our parents. Fan of all people should know. When her father dropped dead, her mother was actually happy. No one to cowpay and fight with her for the TV when she wants to watch her Cantonese cereals anymore. No one to sit on her sofa smoking and peeling dried skin off his toes for hours each evening. Finally, after all those lousy years, peace inside her own house. Fan, I said, you wake up your own head. If we don't follow this plan, we will end up like your parents, my parents, or even worse, Emo's parents. All this, I know, was a lot for them to think about. But you look at us, now we are still chill, still happening, but 26 and 27, it's not young already, you know. In fact, I added, I think we actually must hurry up a bit. If you are serious about this, then come, let's set a deadline. Today is February 1st. By the end of the month, must try and confirm something. Like what? Fan asked. You want us to be married in a month? Be engaged? Emo joined in. Crazy la. Oh my God, these people. Look, I said, no one is asking you to hold a wedding banquet in 30 days. All I'm saying is by the end of the month, we should at least have an Angmo boyfriend, a serious one. And if we really focus and put our minds to it, this one, I tell you, is probably can. So how? Set? Emo looked at Fan, who looked back at her for a moment. Okay, Emo said, raising her glass and waving her hand at Fan to follow. Together, we clinked our glasses and said, set. And that's how the first chapter begins. <laughs> oh, it's so awesome. And then begins a series of adventures for all the friends, and in particular, Jazzy, which are, you know, hilarious, but then also, um, like, oh, disturbing, infuriating, <laughs> upsetting. I'm sorry. It's yeah. because she goes into this, the real world of how women are treated there in all of the different ways. And um, you talk about the KTV lounges, uh, can you explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, there's a, there's a, that chapter was actually very difficult, but also very easy to write in a way, because I've been thinking about the KTV lounge phenomenon in Singapore for many years. They're called KTV, they're karaoke TV lounges. And basically, um, you know, many businessmen in Singapore, when they do business with colleagues visiting, colleagues visiting from other parts of Asia or elsewhere, or just amongst themselves taking clients out, they go to these places called KTV lounges, where they're basically sort of nightclubs with, where you hire girls to come and sing for you, et cetera. But there's usually not a lot of singing involved. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it's just part of like this sort of culture of like men be behaving badly and the wives just kind of having to look away. Um, and, all, and, and I remember like my parents' generation, that was sort of a must. And then I thought, well, you know, my generation, we're going to be better, right? But my friends, my male friends now, they're all part of that culture as well. And it really hit home to me when I was um, talking to a male friend and he said, well, you know, I have to do it for work, of course. I never cheat on my wife. You know, I just have Japanese baths. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, you know, they strip you and then they bathe you and then they finish you off. But it's not cheating because I'm not having sex with her. I'm like, okay. And this is all part of doing business. <laughs> I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> so I was always fascinated with this. And, and I actually wanted to go into a KTV lounge or two to kind of research it. But I wasn't allowed because I'm a woman. And um, so I interviewed a lot of my friends who have to go for work. And uh, so the, the, that chapter in there, a lot of the detail, most of the detail, it comes from people I interviewed and talked to about how the whole system works. So as disturbing as it is, it's actually real. And since then, I've talked to some friends about that chapter in particular. And my guy friends are like, that's nothing. Let me tell you about this that just happened last week in Taiwan. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, it's really disturbing to figure out, like, there there are not spaces, at least, mm-hmm. like, in the world that Jazzy can exist in for her mm-hmm. to assert herself, except for to say, you know, I'm going to make choices about who I marry, and it's going to be, a, you know, a white foreigner. It just, mm-hmm. it, there's something just so profoundly sad about that in the book, too, which is not yeah. taking away from the funniness of it, but it, I say it because it's a serious book as well. I feel like you know, there there's a strong womanist, feminist statement mm-hmm. in here about the importance of how do these women actually find agency in this world. Yeah, it's very true. And, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of, a lot of that came from my own frustration at watching this unfold as well and imagining, imagining myself in that sort of situation that, you know, some of my friends might be in and going, well, as a wife, you know, you have to sort of deal with that because it's part, of, part and parcel of doing business or, you know, just sort of the pre- prevailing um, concubine culture that's a holdover from, you know, decades ago, centuries ago, um, that still is sort of there. It's like, you know, yeah, you know, men will behave badly. Sometimes they'll have a mistress, they'll have a girlfriend on the side. But, you know, as long as he comes home and he only does it one night a week, that's fine. You know, and and just sort of, (laughs) sort of, you know, that culture in which you sort of have to close one eye as a woman. And, um, and, you know, for me, that would be unacceptable. But, you know, and for Jazzy, it's the same way, too. So even though Jazzy's not based on me at all, you know, we do share some things in common. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I felt like Jazzy was a lot of people. I mean, I've, I'm very much connected with her. Uh, one of the things I was obviously super interested in was the ways that she saw and talked about the Eurasian people in her life. They have mm-hmm. like a whole, it's like a whole other cast. Of yeah. people there. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a, Singapore comprises four main races, um, Chinese, Malays, Indians, and Eurasians, because, you know, we were uh, a British colony since 1819. So, you know, so the Eurasian culture there is very, is alive and thriving. Um, and it's, it's counted as, you know, as one of the four main races. Um, and so, you know, but even so within, um, you know, within Singapore, it's funny that Eurasians are sort of still viewed in some in some quarters as, as sort of a little bit above the other races in terms of status as well, which I've always found fascinating because, um, you know, Singaporeans always like to say, oh, you know, all four races get along harmoniously and, you know, there's we, we're not racist at all. There's, we don't think about race. And to a large extent, that's true. But then if you pull back the curtain a little bit, you know, they're just sort of these tiny little layers that are very subtle, you know, just sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, the Eurasians are, you know, this, and the Malays are this, and the Chinese are that. And um, I wanted this book to kind of explore that a little bit, just sort of that inter-Asian um, sort of, sort of um, like, attitudes about race and, uh, and uh, you know, racial politics in modern Singapore. And, um, yeah, yeah, and so the Eurasians it, are a big part of that as well. It becomes very complicated. Like, it's unclear, like, who's supposed to be aligned with whom or marry whom. And it Mm -hmm. was hysterical when Jazzy at one point talks about an old boyfriend who was Mm -hmm. Eurasian, but they couldn't be serious because he didn't want to mix his bloodline or dilute it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, You're you're already mixed and diluted, my friend. I'm not sure what's happening I know, I know. Is that a true attitude? Yeah, I've actually heard that from a few Eurasian friends in Singapore that it's, you know, we're, we're the special, we're the special group of people, you know, and we're, you know, we're, we, we, because we're, you were mixed, but we date back, you know, centuries, like, you know, we're half Portuguese and half Chinese, but this, this really goes back to like, you know, the 19th century, and we've got to preserve that kind of, 
bloodline, um, which I found, which I find kind of fascinating um, in itself. Because you know, this world we live in, everyone is, everyone is mixed. Everyone, you know, yeah. and it's yeah, and it just seems ridiculous to sort of hold something like that um, to be true, especially you already are mixed. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just laughed so hard at that point. The the book is super funny. Um, I want to know, like, do you miss these characters? Because I I already miss them. And does that mean maybe you write more about them? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I've been asked that a lot. Um, I do miss them. I was the, the hardest part about this book was finishing it because I you know I spent three years writing this book and um and I I I I, I just had had Jazzy's voice in my head for three years and all of a sudden when I reached the end I was like wait this is it what our dreams you know like <laughs> no more too. Jazzy <laughs> as a reader that's how I felt me too welcome to my world <laughs> well for now you know I don't I for now I see her story ending there although it ends at a, at a note at a point where she's really starting something else um but in the future who knows um you know my I've started my next novel and it's not about Jazzy at all she's not in it it's a very different world in Singapore but you know I'm I'm not I'm I, I love this character so much that who knows maybe I'll revisit her in the future or maybe she'll pop into another book in the future I don't know well, we definitely want her back or, or any of the women there. Sure. Like, I want to know more mm-hmm. about what actually happens with her, too. Um, yeah. I mean, any of them. So you, I just wanted to ask a couple of questions about your writing career. It's so mm-hmm. varied. You started as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Your first book was memoir. Your mm-hmm. next book was anthology. Now you've written a fantastic debut novel. Uh, so novels, that's that's your path now or you're working on a new novel i think so yeah i'm working on a new novel um you know i've always wanted to write novels uh but you know coming from a very traditional asian family um i knew that when i was was trying to decide what to do with my life i had to persuade my family that i could have a job that where in which i could write but still earn money (laughs) so i went into journalism which was a very you know sort of you know non-traditional for 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 a singaporean girl but um at the time but my family were like okay you're gonna get a regular paycheck that's fine um and so i went into journalism and i sort of you know thought at some point I'll write a novel but I never thought about it that much because I love journalism and then my memoir um, A Tiger in the Kitchen sort of fell into my lap because it stemmed from an essay that I wrote uh, for the Wall Street Journal where I worked at the time and um, and then I ended up working on the memoir and actually while I was researching Tiger in Singapore was when I saw a lot of uh, these these club scenes that are that are in the book Um, and um, and so SPG kind of grew out of that I originally thought that I would write SPG as nonfiction um, and because the topic itself was so fascinating. But when I sat down to write the book proposal, it wasn't coming out right. And then I thought, well, why don't I try it as fiction? And the first chapter, that, which is, which is a, pretty much what you see in the first chapter of the book, came out within a few days. And, it just, and, and the voice was right there. And I sent it to my agent and she said, just keep going. So, um, so this, this novel, every, I feel like everything in my writing career has been very organic. <laughs> The memoir came from journalism, and SPG came from A Tiger in the Kitchen. It was supposed to be nonfiction, but it was actually fiction. So, um, so yeah, I just I have I feel like I have to. The best thing is to just kind of listen to where your writing takes you, because you never quite know where it'll go. Can you tell us anything about the new project, or is it still keeping a tight lid on it? <laughs> I'm not really talking about it yet, but it's also set in Singapore, um, and um, I'm endlessly fascinated with Singapore and Singaporean culture. And it's not something that many, um, you know, many writers in the, yeah, especially outside of Singapore, write about that much. So, um, you know, I, I want to share my country's stories with the world, and you know, so it's a very different part of Singapore, but it's it's also funny and fascinating and satirical. So, we'll see how it goes. 
Well, I, I mean, I love that you're on this journey and quest because seriously, I didn't know anything about strong party girls. I didn't know anything about this world or these cultures. And now I feel like they're a part of me. Like I feel very connected. I recognize it. And I think you even said right before we went on the show today, like, you know, that's the beauty of novels, that you get to Mm -hmm. enter worlds that you couldn't even have imagined. But now I feel like if I go to Singapore, I've got Mm -hmm. like a foothold into, (laughs) you know, a small (laughs) inside. Yeah, but that's how I feel about your that's how I feel about your novel too. It was such a rich journey um, and into a world that I, I, I didn't know at all. And, um, and you know, it's all you, all you can do is tell the stories that you know well and that, you know, and that you know how to tell best. So I guess that's all you can try to do, right? Yes. And you, Cheryl, seriously, you did it so well. I, I can't express enough to anyone who's listening to this podcast. You really have to read this it's like the perfect read, like right now, if it's sunny outside, go get it, sit down and read it, probably in one sitting, unless the sun goes down <laughs> like it did for me, then it'll be in two sittings. But it's so good. It's funny. It's smart. I absolutely loved it. Um, you are going to be in Los Angeles on Wednesday talking to my best friend, Hillary Jordan, mm-hmm. at Skylight Books at 7.30 p.m. Um, yes. Don't miss that, guys. And then you continue on your book tour to San Francisco at the Booksmith on July 21st. Yes. Uh, and then and yeah. on, on and on. You, you, this is a yeah. massive book tour. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm very excited about it, and, um, and we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm taking this book to Dallas, which is, you know, I, I feel like Jazzy would be proud. Jazzy would be super excited about going to Dallas. Um, and I'll be at Dallas <laughs> on Monday. Maybe Boston. she'll meet up Tuck yeah. with Tucker's friends or something. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so no, I'm, I'm, I feel very, very lucky. I, I don't know how all this happened um, because, you know, I, I, Jazzy was in my head for so long, and I, there were so many times when I thought, well, I don't know, is the world ready for her or interested in her story? And I'm just so, I just feel very, very lucky that, that people are, are, are interested or listening. Well, I mean, you've made her real to all of us, and she's engaging. And the thing is, we're rooting for her, you know? That's, <laughs> like, that's the, that's the mark of, like, a great character. Like, I, every page, I was like, oh, my God, Jazzy, get it right. Oh, no, wait, no, stop, you know? I don't want to just scream at the book. Stop! <laughs> Yeah, you're not the first person to say that. So someone, a friend of mine who's like a, a mom of like, you know, and she, she's like, I just wanted to shake her. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, you, you've got to make some, it's, you know, if she didn't make any any mistakes, this wouldn't be a terribly interesting book now, would it? So, exactly. um, yeah. Well, it's it's a fantastic book. Congratulations. Just by thank the you way, very much. That would be and like so exciting. And thank you so much for, for all your kind words about it. Um, it means so much to hear that from you because I loved your book so much. Thank you, Cheryl. Well, um, continued success with the book tour. Keep in touch. I'm going to post some of these dates here so people can make sure that they come out and meet you. And maybe I I take it you read more from the book than you did today, hopefully, uh, just so they can get more jazzy in their lives and in their ears. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. And there's an audio book out, too. So HarperCollins actually found a Singaporean actress in New York to do the voiceover for it. So, um, Oh, my so gosh. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, yeah. fantastic. All right, well, thanks so much. We will talk again soon. And I can't Great. wait to actually meet you in real life. Yes, yes. And thank you for <laughs> having me. One day soon. Me. Thank Done. you. Thanks, Cheryl. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
Okay, so she's fantastic. The book really is fantastic. There were places where I was just laughing out loud, and there were places where I was like, ah, no, stop, Jazzy, don't do it. It's a, a really smart read, and it's a fast read, and uh, go get the book, you guys. It's The Wrong Party Girls by Cheryl Tan. It just came out last week, um, and if you're in Los Angeles, she's here in Los Angeles on July 20th, at 7.30 at Skylight Books with my best friend, the author of Mudbound, which is going to be a major motion picture uh, in the new year, I believe, and also the author of When She Woke. So go check out their conversation at Skylight, one of my favorite bookstores in Los Angeles. And uh, go get the book. Like if you're looking for something to read that makes you, you know, feel good, this is it. This is Sarong Party Girl. All right. So that's it for me today. We have one more episode before season three ends, and we're going to be talking with uh, turning Japanese author Mari Nomi. I'm so excited about this. It's a great way to close out season three. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at Heidi at, w, Heidi at HeidiWDuro.com. That's me. Or you can tweet me at HeidiDuro or find me on Facebook at HeidiDuro. Uh, that's my name. Uh, also, if you happen to be on iTunes, please take a moment to go and make a little review like, yay, we like this podcast or anything like that. Every time someone reviews the podcast, the ratings goes up in the rankings and then that allows more people to find the show. So that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for joining me and I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.